brought to you by the Rugby Outlet Mall, equipping you for freedom and connection through rugby. Find out more at RugbyOutletMall.com. I think the minute I stepped on a practice field for rugby, the calling happened. Uh, an eight-year plan to be on the team, and I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro, right? Like, I like doing something, look, stopping and learning from it. Like, it just looked like it was a heavy hit. If it's up, it's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And those two Scottish guys, and they said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. Rugby is a sport where that's often coupled with actually having a good time. He looked at me and he says, you guys are awesome. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to season two of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time, a Bailu. And this is the show where we're talking to people about the things and opportunities that they have found through rugby, keeping it simple nowadays. Uh, I know it's been a little bit since I've been back on, but uh, I can say, like, a lot has gone down. A lot has changed in the last month and a half. Uh, namely, obviously, I went to Brazil and uh, ended up coming back engaged. So uh, thank you very much. That was a really awesome experience. On top of that, getting a chance to see just the way that the country is. I mean, that that is a beautiful, beautiful freaking country over there. I have to say, um, coming back into the States uh, was interesting because, you know, obviously with all this COVID stuff, um, we have a, a situation, not really like a dangerous situation, but it's like a weird use of difference in dynamic. Like in Brazil, like... You couldn't go to any buildings unless you had your temperature checked. Uh, obviously, you had to be everywhere with a mask, and, and this was in multiple cities. But uh, coming back into Louisiana, uh, I definitely realized, like, I didn't, I didn't have to have a mask. Like, definitely going into buildings, you need to have a mask, but you're not going to necessarily get temperature checked. Um, and you definitely can walk around a little bit, obviously in open spaces and stuff, but even in Brazil, it didn't feel like it outside of being on the beach, outside of being on the beach. It didn't feel like you could, uh, walk around without a mask at any point in time. So it was a little interesting to that dynamic, but it was still great. I'm happy to be back in the States, uh, to be kicking it back off. I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit like working a muscle back to to get back onto the podcast. You know, you get out of the rhythm. We went, you know, basically 15 weeks straight over COVID and recognized that it was just like, then you take a month and a half, almost two months off, and you're like, oh, wow, uh, the time really does get away from you, and you got to get back into it. But uh, I'm happy to come be back, happy to bring new people on uh, and just continue to open up the realm of what it means uh, to be rugby and what it can actually do for you um, as a personal level, even uh, economic level and then just social level and just so many, so many components that go along with it. And, and we've had great guests so far. But, you know, I, I realized that uh, I, I haven't actually talked very much about myself. I think the last episode that I did was shortly after George Floyd. 
Um, and obviously now as we're coming closer to the election, you know, this has gone a whole different way. This whole summer has been very interesting to say the least. But um, I realize that uh, despite the fact I don't think that there's many people who know my story and uh, know as much about me as uh, could. So I actually wanted to take the time at the beginning of the first episode of this season uh, to just kind of give you a lay of the land of myself. I I probably should have done that at the beginning of season one, this last one. But uh, it was just, you know, sometimes you're just trying to jump in and you just really want to just just get things moving. And then after that, you have so many great guests following in. It's kind of hard to say, like, all right, let me just talk about me for a second. Um, But obviously, I have the opportunity now, and uh, I really kind of want to get you to understand uh, what it is that I'm doing, um, as well as what's what's happening uh, coming forward and what what we're looking forward to, or at least what I'm hoping to be looking forward to uh, as the as this next uh, this next year comes and obviously as we conclude this one but of course as as always uh sponsor hasn't changed yo rugby outlet mall guys you know it we're about to load up when i tell you we got something special about to come uh for next month you guys are going to want to get into it it's going to change the game uh especially on how you be able to dictate with the people that you love and deal with and who you're trying to get into this rugby world so uh guys look out but uh for what it's worth yo grow rugby that is still the promo code uh for 20 percent off guys i'm telling you get this g-r-e-a-u-x rugby rugby outlet mall is already stacked we got some great merch inside there we got our hbc rugby classic stuff but we put in some new uh rugby merch that you guys would definitely like uh we got our ballers play rugby Jersey, uh, bloodless play rugby t-shirts. Um, and we, we definitely are trying to make sure that we can set you up so that you got something every time you leave the house, like you ain't even need to go any, you don't need to ever not represent your rugby life over there, <laughs> but definitely check it out. Rugby outlet mall.com and promo code grow rugby G R E A U X rugby. Um, two words. And you guys can get 20% off of any items uh, that we have in there. Um, It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, And also, um, we're still working on trying to get this, uh, get Singapore to Tokyo any way we can. I I still say it's one of the best documentaries that came pre-COVID. And we've had one of the best rugby documentaries, uh, I have to say, because it it, it definitely gives you the great memory of what it is to be able to travel. And uh, obviously, some of us are able to travel. I think Bermuda 10s is happening. So uh, this weekend. So we have the opportunity of being able to see have some people exit the U.S. a little bit. But being able to see these other cultures uh, with my friend Jason Bray and myself uh, traveling through Southeast Asia on our way to the Rugby World Cup. Um, guys can still check it out at um, Red Earth Films, R-E-D-E-A-R-T-H Films dot V-H-X dot TV. And uh, you guys, it's, it's a great documentary, uh, $17, and you guys can do whatever the hell you want with it. It's all you can until we get it onto Amazon, then stream the hell out of it on Amazon. But Amazon is 
Amazon's trying to fight with us for some reason, so uh, no worries at all. But I'm really happy to be able to have it. I'm ba- happy to be back. But um, and oh, and of course, uh, I forgot to even add uh, taking in this new position as the growth and development coordinator for National College Rugby. So it, it's really interesting to see what's what's going on now. But um, like I said, as I tell you this story, I think it's going to help to be able to put things into perspective. Uh, so, without further ado, <laughs> Gift A. Bailu <laughs> of Gift Time Rugby and Gift Time Rugby Media and Productions. Check it out! Oh, man. You know, I, I, I was telling you guys, you know, I'm really happy to be back and uh, doing the podcast again, but uh, I kind of needed to give some background. I, I, like I said, I know some people know who I am and have watched my work over the course of the years, and I've talked about my story in uh, some places here and there, but uh, very rarely have I had the opportunity to be able to just kind of sit and talk about the, what, what I've been trying to do and you know, kind of where it all came from. Uh, so I wanted to give you an opportunity in breaking it down. So, um, you guys can, like I said, you know, what's happening, you know, why it's happening and, uh, kind of looking forward to seeing what's going to happen next. Uh, so you guys might come out of this liking me or hating me. Uh, it's very possible on either one or, but just know everything is with strong genuity and everything like that. So kind of from the beginning, um, you know, I was born in uh, State College, Pennsylvania, um, to profess to a professor, an engineering professor, and my dad, and um, a uh, at the time uh, working for a physical plant, but she was an MBA um, uh, when in my mother. Uh, both of my fam- my family is originally from Nigeria. Uh, I think I've, I've been very. Uh, open with that. Uh, I'm very happy to promote Nigeria all the way across the board. But, you know, it kind of kicked off from there. Uh, From there, uh, I I lived in Pennsylvania until I was nine, uh, ultimately leading me to uh, Iowa, uh, where I was there until 2000, so until I turned 14, um, before moving to Louisiana. Um, Then... From Louisiana, I uh, went to college over at University of South Florida in uh, Tampa, Florida. Great four years. And this is actually where I got first introduced to rugby um, physically. First introduced to rugby physically. And actually, it's kind of, I always say it's always funny um, getting it started because, you know, you could have heard this story. But whenever I first learned about rugby was because of me getting into football. And the ironic part was... Uh, basically until I moved to Iowa, I was, I mean, I'm sorry, not moved to Iowa, moved to Louisiana. I wasn't really a big football guy. Um, I wasn't really a big sports guy. Uh, my family is Seventh-day Adventist, so we never really had an opportunity to do a lot of sports on uh, when I was younger because most of them were played on Saturday. And uh, uh, I had a chance to play a little bit of football in middle school, uh, which we had, we played on like Thursdays from time to time. But I wasn't really caught up, but I would always watch a Super Bowl and, you know, root for the Pennsylvania team. So I think at the time it was like Pittsburgh and stuff like that. But 
it wasn't until I got to Louisiana that I really dove in because I started playing football in high school. And I actually had to wait an extra year because uh, in Louisiana, they, if you don't live within the area of where your school was, uh, you had to, you know, basically wait a year uh, of have it wait for a year of eligibility to be able to kick in. So when I finally started playing football and I actually had coaches that were like, you need to really learn this game significantly. And the only things that I had was like varsity blues. And then obviously these every once in a while Super Bowls, um, you know, I had to sit down and actually take a look. And I actually looked through the NFL.com website. And that's when I first heard about rugby, because obviously rugby is a derivative uh, football derived from rugby. But. When I went to USF, um, University of South Florida, um, I had a dorm mate named Kevin Morgan who was recruiting for the USF rugby team. And he was the first time that I saw it. And and prior to that, you know, other than what I'd taken from NFL.com, kind of just assumed rugby was one of those sports that basically was just, you know, an archaic sport that existed before football had it and obviously we, there was soccer but i didn't know about the connection through soccer so you're just like oh this is that archaic sport i didn't know that people still play the archaic sports but you know people do fencing but we don't go sword fighting anymore so you know i guess it made sense you, you know, even within the guise of like medieval um medieval costumery because i knew like renaissance festival stuff so i basically thought that rugby worked just similarly like the renaissance festival it occurs but nobody actually takes it seriously it's not this massive sport Um, and so it actually was, it wasn't even then whenever I first went to go play, um, actually, no, no, it was, we were at the time playing intramural football at the same time. So I was like, all right, let me go check out this rugby thing because I wanted to go and eventually try out for a USF football team. And I figured, you know, maybe there was something I could use there to be able to get my training correct because USF football had tryouts. So I wanted to be able to see if I could do something with it. So I kind of went to a practice, and, you know, it was all right. I think uh, at the time, and I didn't realize until much later that uh, uh, coach, I think USF legendary coach Gordon Campbell was the coach then. But, you know, we were out on the intramural fields and, you know, doing passing drills and stuff like that. And uh, it was me and my my friend uh, Darnell uh, who went to go try out for it. And we were just like, oh, it's cool. And we had a couple friends that were on it. But uh, for some reason, like I said, it, it didn't lock in for me because, again, I was like, I don't know what I can do with this. Um, you know, it, and, it, you know, I was trying to go play football. I was like, eh, this might not be able to be the thing that's going to take me over the top. And I kind of just left it there. But it always was in the back of my mind and stuff like that. But uh, so ended up, you know, College, we play tackle football. Like, as I got older, so that was my freshman year that I found out about rugby. And then around my junior and my senior year uh, of, of college, a friend, few friends of ours would start playing tackle football, like, every Friday. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm a contact guy, always and ever. So this kind of fulfilled this little piece inside of me to be able to uh, get this little bit out. Um but, of course, as it goes, you know, all good things have to come to an end, and I had to graduate. And I didn't want to stay in Tampa uh, because I'd always wanted to work business stuff. 
my major had been inter- had initially been engineering, but I actually switched it to international studies and government relations uh, because I didn't actually want to go through the school of business because everybody from engineering that decides to step away from engineering goes into business or goes into communications. I was like, I'm not going to be one of those. And so I went into the other common one, which is international studies and business relate international studies and government relations. This all wraps together. So it's not without saying anything. But it was really interesting in, in the fact. So being able to do that, I was like, but I always had my mind on business. Entrepreneurship was where I wanted, and I wanted to learn from my mother, who, uh, as she had gone left from the physical plant in Pennsylvania, had become an entrepreneur in uh, insurance and real estate. And so I was like, let me learn with her, and you know, I can figure out my place from there. Um, the one thing I can at least do is communicate with people, and I don't know, we'll figure out something from that component. So I come back home, and I'll say that even though Louisiana is where I played football and obviously is where I had high school, but the friends that I had were not uh, <laughs> go every week and play tackle football people. Uh, definitely none, none of that fact. So I, I had this void from not being able to have contact every week that I'd been doing for the better part of the last year and a half, two years, and come back into Louisiana. And I, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, once you graduate, there's one thing that you come to realize is that you have a lot of time on your hand, a lot of time on your hand that now has been moved from the stress of wanting to make sure you're studying and or thinking of stressing about needing to be able to go study to now you have this like open wound. Even if you have a job, like when you talk about nine to five, like five to midnight is a long ass time. And even you going from there back it was a long time uh so i it was trying to go fill in the blanks while i was also trying to figure out where my place was whether i was going to do insurance or going to work uh with the real estate which i kind of was doing but I, I still hadn't fully fixated in um so i remember it was actually in february i just graduated in december uh you know kind of getting the rest and getting everything back together for uh you know, in January and then beginning of February. And lo and behold, I turn on the TV and USA Rugby Sevens is on, uh, on NBC. I think I caught it on Sunday. It was whenever they were, they, you know, they never did full broadcast on the game. It was always like the replays from the day before, or it was like a section of the game. And then, you know, they put it on uh, later in the day. So I think I had been maybe looking for football or something to that effect. Uh, and I, I guess it wasn't on or the, or the Saints weren't on or something to that effect. But NBC ended up having uh, bringing on uh, rugby. And so I'm watching a line out. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was South Africa versus maybe Scotland or something like that. It was just a highlight. It wasn't even a full game. But they were showing a line out as they were just making uh, uh, an attack. And it was like one-on-ones across the board. And they made the pass out to the wing and the wing took it out for the try. But it was always interesting to me because I was like, yo, why didn't, why didn't this – now, mind you, obviously I didn't know any of the position names. I was just like, why didn't that guy, which ended up being probably the center, I was like, why didn't he just juke this one person who tried to make the jump on him? If he had made the juke, he could have made the pat, run off himself when he even had to go. I was like, oh, man. So, like, rugby – like, and this reminded me back to whenever I was playing, whenever I'd done the one practice at USF. And I was like, all right, rugby is a thing. But um, 
you know, again, I'm like, oh, this must be one of those archaic sports. But I was like, hey, look, USF had rugby. So, you know, it would be funny if Baton Rouge had it. But, you know, Baton Rouge doesn't have anything. You know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana is, you know, just middle grade town. That's an LSU. That's a college college city. It's a it's a college city. Let, call it what it is. Like LSU runs it part one, then Southern on a lo- another end. And you're just like, okay, you know, sure, whatever. Go and I look it up. Boom. Website appears. Baton Rouge Rugby Football Club. And I'm just like, yo. Okay. I was like, all right. Yo, all right. Baton Rouge got it. But I also know one thing. There's a lot of dead sites on the internet. All right. Like sometimes people have a site up and they just left their card on automatic. And so they just, you know, nobody updates anything, but... It's like, it's just there. But luckily, uh, you know, they had the times and where they played. And the field wasn't too far from where I lived, uh, just on the other side of town, uh, Highland Road, gang, gang. Um, And so uh, I went out to the practice. It was a Thursday that I went out to the practice. And I was like, all right, I didn't bring anything because I was like, I'm more prepared for people to not be there. Um, But, you know, why the hell not? Let me go check it out. So I go over to the field, and boom, the guys are there. I actually went a little bit late because, you know, you, you never want to go exactly on time because you assume people have to get in. But I was like, I got there a little bit late, maybe like 15, 20 minutes late, and I see a few of the guys out there, and one of the players, is, we, we call him Sausage, Jacob Verrett, but also known as Sausage, uh, sees me, he's like, hey, man, you here to, uh, for rugby? And I was like, yeah, I just want to come check it out to see if you guys really exist. And he was like, yeah, man, yo, you need to go grab your boots and come. I was like, well, look, I'm not quite ready to, to play, but, um, you know, I'd love to be able to, you know, come back. I'll, I'll, I'll try and make a, make a return. So this was, this was early March. So th- it was late February whenever it first happened. I was thinking early, but it was late February when this happened. And I was like, yeah, I, I got to make it back, um, but I will I will return back and uh, I'll play. He was like, are you sure? He's like, yo, just come out. We'll be out here. And I was like, all right, let's let's go. And I remember this distinctly because the, that weekend I went to my friend's wedding. And then the weekend, the week after that was that Tuesday after was the first practice that I went to. So we go out to the Highland Road. I go out to Highland Road Park and I bring my cleats because, you know, I have them because of football. And I was like, all right, let's see what they do. And I'm just seeing like a lot of older white guys. And I'm just like, oh, this is like, I was like, this is a little bit of older team. I was like, I was 22 at the time. Uh, so I was like, all right, this is an older team, but it's whatever. Cool. You know, let's, let's see what we can do here. And so we start doing drills. Uh, my coach, Jim Brew, we, we start doing drills. And we're doing just little lap drills. I'm keeping up. And, you know, I'm like, you know, we're going back and forth. No problem. And we're going back and forth. No problem. I'm keeping up. They're running. I'm running. They're running. I'm running. They're running. I'm slowing down. They're running. I continue slowing. I'm like, how are they still going? Like, these guys are like 35, 40. Now, mind you, I'm 34 now. And I'm realizing how crazy it is. But, look, we're, we're young, you know. You know, social media was just starting to escalate. Like, this is coming out of the era of... Facebook was just for college students that ended in 2007. We're just limiting the back end of MySpace, coming to the end of that. Um, Twitter is in its renaissance, and Instagram hadn't even existed yet. This is 2009. So 
I'm just like, yo, like, this is wild. <laughs> like, this is wild. These guys are still going. And I told myself, I was like, look, I don't know about this game, but I refuse to be the youngest guy here and not being able to keep up. Uh, and so it was just like, look, we're going we're gonna to get ours. But, of course, there was another catch that came along with all this. Uh, most of the games were on Saturday. Uh, and as I tell you, this is uh, my, my family's Seventh-day Adventist, and I was moved back in with my parents when I got back from college. You know, this was also after the recession. So, you know, beginning of this normality. Um, but it was just like, all right, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the games, but um, if it works into my favor, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Uh, and so I think the first game that I had a chance to play was not that week because I think they traveled out to Huntsville that week. And I wasn't going to travel out of town, but I could try and make it to the home games because they typically happen right after church. So I was like, I might be able to sneak something out from here. You know, let me let me go run out. Um, and so that I think the first game that I got a chance to see anything um, that I got a chance to see anything or even strap up as part of the team was against New Orleans. And this was right before they started getting good. And so I think we ended up tying them that game, which was awesome because I think Brew gave me, I think one gave me a chance to get into the game, maybe about two minutes of game left, maybe three minutes of game left. And <laughs> of course, I didn't know how to handle the ball. And, and look, my natural position in football was – um, my natural position in football has was running back and linebacker. So I know how to run with the ball in football, and I know how to tackle, which I think a lot of us have that shared experience where we come in from football or contact sport of such, and we know to take the hits. Like, we're, we're braced for the hits. Uh, what ends up being the learning skill is the passing and uh, the visual knowledge of it and, and, and the IQ, rugby IQ. But I think that first game, uh, I had a guy on the ground, and I didn't know. I was like, look, he's on the ground. He was open field. And I was like, I know we need to get the ball. So I ran shoulder into him <laughs> into the ground. Maybe this, was that New Orleans or maybe we played Mobile. It was one of those two. Um, but we, I took him into the ground to roll him off because, you know, like if you run into a fumble, what you do is, you know, you drive the guy off the off the ball so you can set it up for your team to to recover and i just nailed into him uh i don't remember who it was that got that but uh god bless them they 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 took it strong and uh brew <laughs> coach brew properly reminded me hey gift uh don't don't hit the guy on the ground and uh make sure you're wrapping up so this became my first experiences with it. And I think for the first year, and I, I came in, I guess, almost when the season was coming to a close. But that first year, I didn't, get, I didn't play very much. I only had maybe played one or two games. But I was like, yo, I'm, I'm feeling this. Like, it's, it's like being on, on the pitch. Like, it's like being on the football field, you know, like playing tackle football back in, in college uh, with, my, my, with friends. And, you know, the guys were very welcoming and starting to kind of get a little understanding of the, the rugby culture. And I think a lot of people will, especially black people will understand it, but you know, rugby culture is very extra. Um, and, and there's, there's always this concept of uh, 
what uh, I think on on Flagrant Two, Andrew Schultz called it white boy fun. Uh, rugby culture, uh, as it was, really, and I guess to is to an extent, um, really emblemates white boy culture. It's it's very egregious. It's very extra. It, it takes you out of your comfort zone. Um, but once you understand the concept, you know it's like, all right, all right, cool. I, I feel it. I'm not gonna fully go all the way in, but it is. But it, even with the drinking culture, you know, uh, the the levels of butt neckedness that I've seen through rugby of guys is is a lot. And you know, you you kind of get a little bit of a culture shock from it. But you know, it's it you. You can get it in stride. I was able to catch it in stride. I know some people don't, don't always catch it in stride, but I, I always like to keep an open mind. And obviously, you play to the culture that you're in. This is something that I learned from moving around to different places, and obviously being from Nigeria. Recognize the culture that you're in, and subsequently be able to uh, find a way to manifest your position in it, and subsequently, but not allow it to overtake you. So you're not going to please everybody, but you're not going to seem like you are uh, trying to stand out too much, or you're not, you're not, you're not, you're, you're being stiff into fun. So, um, but I think where it really kicked in for me, because uh, the socials were one thing, but I think where it really kicked in for me is whenever I went to this event called Pitcherton, that was that next summer uh, in July, was playing touch here and there uh with the rugby guys um and it was helping me get back into shape because i came out of uh, college really heavy um but uh being able to have this opportunity to run and hit and stuff like that uh it gave me a lot to be able to work with in that so uh going into um july you know they tell me about this event called pitch a tent and i'm like all right, cool. Camping and stuff. Like I hadn't gone camping since I was a kid, really. Um, I think basically, yeah. So I didn't have any of the tents and stuff. And so I was able to stack up on that. And I was like, all right, let's, let's go ahead and let's see what this is about. And, uh, rode up to Chattanooga, Tennessee the first day, which was interesting. Got to meet the Chattanooga guys at, at their rugby bar and, you know, that was uh, an experience alone. And, and one thing that I noticed, and, and I got to give credit, uh, guys like um, Hunter Guidry and um, uh, Sid and uh, Craig Gautreaux, uh, all these guys, um, uh, Dutch, uh, these were guys on the team that, well, I don't think Dutch made it that year, but these are guys on the team that kind of helped, you know, bring this stuff to light. And it was weird because it was like everybody knew everybody. Like, so you're a new guy, and you're just kind of, like, sitting there in it, and you're just like, everybody knows everybody. Like, this community is wild because, like, it doesn't seem like you you never seen rugby prior to this. But it's just like, yo, we're we're finally, you know, seeing this. It, like, it seems like there's really a lot of people a part of it. And so we stayed overnight in Chattanooga as we headed out the next day to Lafayette, Georgia, which is where actual pitch a tent is. Um, but first and foremost, we got to go kayaking. We got to go whitewater rafting, not kayaking, whitewater rafting. And that is in and of itself was something I'd never done. Uh, and never even really imagined myself doing it because it never was something that came up, but it's like, yo, just run into stride. Like, let's go. And that was wild. That was fun. So you start, I'm starting to get this, like this 
this slow revelation of the rugby culture and the rugby experience. And I'm liking it because, you know, it, it's reminding me it I, like it, it, it touches into a part of me that it's always been there, which was fun and uh, and, and kind of a little bit out of control and, and just kind of stepping outside ranges of comfortability. And then we finally get to the field at Pitcherton. And when I tell you, this was like, it's like, I don't know. You, you, you see it over the horizon. It has like this heavenly glow. I don't know what it is. It's, maybe it's getting in there around dusk, but it's just like there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a vibe, an energy around it. You go across first and you see the fields where it's just all these multiple rugby uh uh, rugby post setting up for the fields and stuff like that and you're just like whoa there's a lot of fields here this is a lot of open space then you kind of drive through this groundwork and then you get in and you know you there's there's a barrier <laughs> it's a tree barrier and you go and you enter and it just like glows and you open up and boom you see hills with tents and cars and you're just like Yo, this feels like you just entered into Narnia. Like, it's a whole different world altogether here, and you're just going through, and honestly, it was it was like, like I said, it was entering into a new world, but it was a world where you were supposed to be. Like, I was like, I, I, I'm supposed to be here. Uh, and honestly, I had no idea what to expect from it. Um, and I, I don't think if you had told me about it, I would have been able to fully appreciate what was meant to be because you get in and you go and you find your tent set, your, your area. And it's not like there's reserved areas. You're just finding an area with the rest of the team and just like, boom, there we go. Like, let's, let's, let's get to, let's get to setting up this camp. And <laughs> you're like, okay, cool, cool. And then they're like, all right, let's go, go to the beer truck. You're like, oh, beer truck is going to be a keg or two because, you know, from the socials. Nah, 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 nah. We talking about a beer truck. All right. We're talking about 23 kegs of constantly running beer. Five taps going across the board, just pumping as much as you want. And you're just like, holy shit. Like, this is this is something else. Like, this, is a, this is a lot. And you're just like, yo, I don't have to think about it. And then. Obviously, you get to meet the people, and this is when rugby culture first really made its impact for me. And it was like this weird meld of being in college. It was wild. It was hedonistic, but it was uh, it was kind of family, not family friendly, but family oriented in the sense that like, yo, you made friends, you got to know people, you just got to talk with people, and it was like, oh, this is what rugby culture is supposed to be all about here. This is what they always say is is rugby culture. And I was sold at that moment. Pitch a tent, 2009, absolutely sold on on everything that it was supposed to be. And I was like, ah, I'm in this sport. Like, it's it's I might be out of college, but I'm in college, but I don't have classes anymore. I've basically gotten everything that I wanted, but I don't have classes anymore, which you can't beat. And even with work, like work, I was we were we were actually about to start doing some uh, college readiness stuff. So for me, it was always like, you know, working for yourself or working uh, in in accordance with my mother. But, yo, it's you know, we're just here. So I wasn't having and it just kind of ran through it from that time on. And then uh, played for about three years um, 
before we had like a really down year. So about 2012, uh, I think a lot of people in, in the U.S. and probably a lot of small clubs know, like you get this wave of guys who have been playing forever and, you know, these Baton Rouge guys have been playing with each other um, for like a decade plus uh, with the club itself. And then that's not even including LSU, which I discovered had a rugby team. I My, my high school was on LSU campus, and I swear to God, we never even – visualize or even conceptualize that it existed so this was another part of the shocks but um as anything goes yo life kicks in guys get older guys have to move guys get families and uh you know we started to have numbers dwindle but um i started was thinking like all right you know it's been three almost four years that i've been playing like let me try and start taking some roles and some understanding of this of this sport um, that I'm in and understand my landscape. Um, and one thing I can always say is that, you know, I'm very good for analysis just because, you know, you fantasy football, especially early on, you get it started. But really the real kicker was the early days of discussions on like MySpace and having strong sports battles. So I wanted to have an idea of who we would always face outside of and who's in our area outside of just the, the people that we played on a regular basis. Cause we'd basically play like, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Little Rock uh, for a tidbit there, New Orleans, um, uh, 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 Mobile, Alabama, uh, 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 shoot, uh, really actually kind of right. And then every once in a while we'd play uh, an, uh, Birmingham and uh, Birmingham, Alabama, or, you know, we'd play Atlanta, uh, Old White, uh, and one occasion Chattanooga. But we basically played the same guys all, all the time unless we went to the True South tournament and then we, we'd have that situation. So I wanted to learn more about what was going on around and be able to connect and, and do stuff. And I was starting to the early stages of, um, you know, Again, business, you know, you try and market a little bit and stuff like that. Um, and in doing that, I started kind of thinking, I was like, you know, I don't really understand how a lot more people don't know this game. Um, and I think, again, we probably all had that whenever we first started playing, um, especially here in the U.S. Uh, like, there's there's a lot of people that have been in this game. You start seeing it. I think even our uh, Baton Rouge's district attorney was a rugby guy and his whole family was a rugby guy and it's like wait what uh you know so it, this thing runs deep and again through that lsu connection so i was like all right let me learn more and i started learning more and i was like all right there's a real clear problem that we have here in rugby because uh, our communication sucks because not only am i finding out that more people play than i thought but there's a shit ton of teams out here and not just into not just shit ton of teams like from all levels, like we had the high school teams that I'd known about because uh, in New Orleans, the high school, the New Orleans high school guys would transfer to LSU and then transfer uh, to New Orleans. And so it was like we were starting to see them starting to get their rise. Uh, obviously, then the college one started expanding. And in Louisiana, we had, um, you know, LSU, we had Lafayette, ULL, um, well, University of Louisiana now. Um we had University of New Orleans, Loyola, uh, you know, we had uh, just just several teams, Louisiana Tech, 
involved in that. So it was like Louisiana has a bunch of teams on top of like the club one, Shreveport, New Orleans, uh, Baton Rouge were the biggest ones. And then we start to see uh, little off breaks here and there. But it was like nobody knew. And this is like, OK, there, there has to be something to like bring it all together. And at least here in Louisiana, we can have something like we need to have like a Louisiana championship or something. Get the best of it and see who's the best of the best in the state because we weren't playing Shreveport because uh, they played in the Texas Rugby Union. Um, and we played New Orleans, and obviously New Orleans had the, the run on us uh, most times, every time. But <laughs> but it was like, yo, we'd have that, and with that event, we could be able to you know do something and build it, and we can create rankings and stuff. So early 2013, I was like, let me go ahead and start these Louisiana rankings. Uh, and so every week I was like, and this is, came off of the analysis from what we did with um, uh, with fantasy football, which helped me learn from an individual standpoint. And then what from all the years of argument, we're talking about 2004 to no, actually 2003 to, you know, the present to, you know, 2012, 2013, just arguing sports, arguing. And it was it was pretty hardcore back then. Obviously, it's increased significantly now, but now it's much more of a, of a, uh, uh, what do they call it? A tank where it just, uh, just the inf- same information kind of bounces back and forth. Uh, but before it was like, yo, these guys who had been in it, I had friends that um, had worked for the NFL. They were statisticians and stuff like that that we would argue online all the time. Uh, obviously, you know, crazy people, but it was always there. So I wanted to do something similar with that to rugby so that there was something to be able to build off of. So this is where the advent of gift time rugby first came in. And I think initially I called it gift time sports. Um, and it was just like, yo, let's, let's rank it. Let's rank the best rugby team, the best college teams, the best high school teams, the best, um, um, club teams. And then what I was going to even do next was start doing predictions, uh, for each of the games because, you know, we had the schedules and it was like, all right, let's go. And as I kind of started doing it, uh, you know, I kind of felt myself repeating the same thing over and over again. And I realized I, I needed to learn a little bit more about the teams that they played because you can't get a really good prediction unless you know how every team plays against themselves. So like against somebody else of uh, who they play and subsequently that because a little bit of the uh, uh, trend transference, um, concept of you know this team if team a plays team b and team b plays team c if team c beat team uh b and team b beat team a assume that team c can also beat team a and so i wanted to make sure that we had it accurate so i started learning more and more about the teams and started counting off how many d2 club teams we had uh what was going on a little bit in d1 a club and then in the college ranks, it, that was a whole different range because in the South alone, at the time, we we're talking about almost 450 teams, men and women, um, across the board. So I was just like, man, let me do what I can. Uh, let, me, let me learn what I can. And then I started trying to expand it. And so I was trying to play at the same time and trying to do gift time rugby at the same time. Uh, what I, I eventually changed it over to the gift time rugby. I opened up gift time productions as an LLC because I was like, this is, this is a business that can be here. Like, I don't know what will actually end up being, but there's something here 
because we clearly have an audience. And uh, 09 was whenever they announced that they wanted to bring rugby to the Olympics. So there was an added incentive now to say, hey, look, we got, you know, three years to be able to kind of figure out what this next move is. Um, so I started making the rankings, and they were doing well within the Louisiana people. People started talking smack, of course, you know, which is great because that's what you want. Like, you want the community effort, but look, if you can't talk shit about your your younger sibling, like, what's the point of having that younger sibling? Like, yo, you talk smack to your cousin, but nobody else can talk about them, but you can talk amongst each other. So, uh, you know, we started having those, and the predictions started running a little bit and started building up some of the the acclaim. But, of course, for me, I'm a very ambitious person. Again, this comes back from, you know, I have a... This, this this PhD father, I had this entrepreneurial MBA mother, you know, we're Nigerians, we move a lot, so there's always like, what can you do more? You have to do, there has to be something more, so I wanted to scale a little bit. So I started adding in a little bit more of the college teams into it and trying to understand it more and putting in the rankings for there and started covering, and I was like, look, we're going to get it in the South, because one thing else I had learned was uh, for... At the time, it was Rugby Magazine. Uh, looking up at Rugby Magazine, they always talked about the Northeast. They talked about the Midwest. They talked about the West. But they always left the South out. And I was like, yo, why are you leaving out the South? Like, yo, we still here. Like, just because we're not going in. And we had just started going to championship through New Orleans and, and Tampa. So I was like, why aren't you talking about us? I was like, you know what? F it. We're going to take care of the South. The South will take care of itself. You know? Go, go. The South will rise again. <laughs> but you know it was like low let me go take care of this and i started thinking to myself okay so we're getting more of the teams but it was hard to keep up because information doesn't pass well uh we weren't you know teams weren't updating their social medias very much um was it hard to get contact information and yo, know, it takes a lot of time to be able to put rankings and put things together and really make a a ruling but i was like yo i want to be able to like work the best we can in the south so I started thinking to myself, all right, I can do the blogs, and I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself, but I feel like we're, we're missing a part. Like, a lot of people want to see the scores, but you know what people want to see more is the actual games. So around um, 2000, 2000, late 2013, um, I was like, let me, let me see if I can go ahead and start filming some of these games. Um, you know, it's going to be on delay, but at least we're going to see it in action. And there was a, a mantra that I had was I never want to see a game lost in memory because, uh, you know, we'll have some great games. Obviously, people talk about their rugby stories over and over again, but you never it's not always going to be accurate. It's not the same as being able to say, hey, I know this is what we can look at. And nowadays it's become now very common to be able to film games. But in 2013, 2014, Nobody was filming games, especially at the club rugby level. Nobody was filming games. And so you're just like, I was just like, all right, let me find a way to be able to do that. But, of course, I still wanted to play. (laughs) So I was just like, all right, let me hopefully find some people. But I never could really find people. Had a couple people try and help. But, you know, free labor doesn't last labor forever. So people would start getting tired of wanting to film and stuff like that. And it was just a, a real task. But... You know, when we'd get the games, we'd be able to look at tape. People were able to see themselves on film a lot more. And it was really fun. And, um, you know, on the game, days that we didn't have games, I was like, all right, let me see if I can, like, kind of move this to other 
some of the other colleges. I started wor- working with uh, Lafayette uh, and filming their games. Um, I uh, we did our our sevens tournament, Redfish Sevens, uh, and I, I was able to get some help filming that that a little bit. And it was it was it was good. You know, I was like, all right, we got something here. And then I thought to myself, man, you know, we got these games, but yo, I don't have anybody commentating on them. Uh, so I started working on the commentating. I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I can at least be able to proceed on doing that. If I can get somebody to film the games, I'll commentate over them. Um, and this is where I learned the early stages of then live, at the time, live stream commentating. So basically, there was a website called Spreaker. Uh, that allowed you to do live, uh, live broadcast, live audio broadcast, not visual, live audio broadcast. So I was like, okay, I can do commentating, and we can at least have bring it back to the old radio days. And one of the earliest places, the, actually the first place that I think I did a game was over at Spring Hill College in Mobile. It was Spring Hill versus Troy. Um, no, correction, that's that's not true. The first game that I did it on was Lafayette versus Louisiana Tech. And I was like, I had a friend uh, work with me, um, and he filmed while I did the live stream commentating. And then what I would do afterwards was, once the game was done, I would go back and edit it over and start to, you know, uh, put the games together. And all the while doing that, I was also trying to create a, a show to be able to cover Louisiana sports and cover rugby in the South. So we'd be able to have at least some kind of a talk show, and there was an opinion piece, uh, and which was also why I needed that video, because there wasn't video. All we're talking about is scores. Uh, you know, you don't want to be on camera forever, but, you know, this is part of the process. And it was just like, okay, let's do that. Got some great coverage. I bought, I bought ladder, was up there, commentating live. Boom, recording it on the computer. Have the desk, and we're just like trying to get everything that we can. And then I'd go and I'd try and make the original uh, Grow Rugby, uh, which was the video show, and it was just news and spreading that. And that was different. I've, I've looked back at it, and man, I feel so stiff. But man, those were hard to make. Like, I'd be up all night making it and stuff like that and uh, editing it, and uh, it, it, was, it was wild. It was wild. Um, and then I was like, okay, let me, let me see how far I can go with this. Um, you know, I went to the first a distance game was the Spring Hill versus Troy game. Um, this was D2. Um, I just wanted to get uh, another aspect because they played in the Deep South Conference um, in D2. And I was like, if I get them, it makes a connection with Louisiana Tech. It makes a connection with uh, University of New Orleans. And I can, I can put context to things. And uh, that was a good one because it was also one of the first times I got uh, interviews. And so I kind of did that for about a, about a season or two. I went up to Arkansas. And I'd never been up to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, where the Razorbacks are. Went and got... Uh, Kansas State versus uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks. And I'd have my man of the match that we'd set up and uh, player of the match, and we'd set that up and we'd do it. Uh, we did a game. I did a game in uh, at um, Tallahassee, Florida, FSU, because I started wanting to get the women's side. Um, 
and we got the girls game. It was FSU versus Florida International, FIU, which was uh, <laughs> a very dominant game. But it was good, and I started trying to set up a schedule of just trying to drive around and, and go do it um, because, you know, if I can't play very much, but we can get the games, and there's something interesting. And I was at, and at the same time I was working on my master's, uh, so I was trying to, like, levy all these things simultaneously. Um, but it was it was really interesting. It was getting me to go to places that I hadn't been, even though it was within the South. I There was no time I'd ever thought I was going to go to uh, Tallahassee, Florida, to FSU area, um, even though I had been to school at Florida. But, you know, we go middle floor, Tampa, Florida down, not Tampa, Florida up. Um, but started trying to get a little bit more, started work trying to get – more SEC teams um, even went to the SEC championship that was in South Carolina uh, and got the video and the film there. And then in doing that, it set me up for my first international game. And that first international game was in South Carolina. Um, it was USA Rugby versus – who was it? It wasn't Ireland. No, no, I think it was. It might have been Ireland, USA Rugby versus Ireland. Um, because the first international game I ever went to was one that I got tickets for, and that was USA Rugby versus Scotland in Houston. And I'd gotten some stuff and videos there, and that was one of the long broadcasts. I met a lot of people in that instance. Um, and then, uh, but that first international game was was real because – you know, I was new. Um, I had just been in doing rugby for maybe just about a year, uh, doing rugby media for maybe a year. Um, and I got to give a shout out to Laura Gill for giving me a chance to get uh, USA Rugby media passes and accepting this random person who had very limited, um, limited, uh, uh, what do you call it? Very limited uh content but you know at the time usa rugby was really open to try and send bring in new media um and so i went to that first game and i thought i was like okay i can write here and i think before that um that was the game that i did um the i did an all-star game it was uh usa no no it was the deep south champion deep south all-stars Versus the Southern uh, con- Rugby Conference All Stars, and doing that game was um, was interesting. My my girlfriend at the time was helping me, and we kind of trying to get two angles, and we got it. And it, it was an interesting first shot of just trying to get the game. And then when I went inside for the um, actual for the actual international game, like I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I thought I could write. But I know enough about international rugby to be able to write well. Um, but I tried to put some. And then the other thing was, like, everybody was there. I think uh, uh, I think maybe Pat Clifton had been there. No, 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 it wasn't Pat. It was, this is America, Curtis. Curtis Reed was out there. And uh, I think uh, uh, Alex Goff was there, too. And I was just seeing these guys and a couple other people. I'm like, yo, you guys are really, like, putting in typing work. And I was like... I'm just trying to, how do I live type this and, you know, know what I was doing? Uh, so 
I was like, okay, you know, this was an experience and got to meet the USA Rugby media team, uh, which was great. I think Alex Solomon was there and, um, and, and, and that was when Chad Wise was there. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a great guy, a great group of people. Um, and then after that, like, I came back and I was like, okay, I'm going to do some more international games. Because I'm, I'm going to try and get these a little bit more because it can maybe help build up my profile while trying to promote Southern rugby. And it, these are all in the South. Uh, so the next one that I ended up doing was Atlanta Sevens. Um, and it was no, no, it wasn't Atlanta Sevens. I'm sorry. It was uh, USA versus uh, Georgia, I think. USA versus, I got to look at the, the badges, but it was in Atlanta. Uh, and at the same time, the, uh, South, uh, the South Independent Rugby Conference women were playing their championship game there. So I was like, this was me doing the live commentating. And I was like, all right, let me, let me try and do live commentating over here. And so I, it was, I think the first game I did was University of Central Florida versus Florida, I think. Uh, which was a great game. It was, unbeknownst to me, uh, the first time that I ever uh, got to watch Chris Thomas actually play as a US, UCF um, alum. She was fast, but UCF women were nuts. They were so good. And so um, I actually ended up um, interviewing the, uh, the eight-man and I think a different winger at the time. Uh, but it was just, it was so fun. And I think the other games that I got was like, uh, uh, I think North Florida versus maybe Alabama at the time women. So they had that, which was dope and getting me introduced into the SIRC. And then I went to the, went to the actual, uh, uh, international game itself pass again, shout out to Laura Gill because, I was like, all right, look, what I'm going to do, because it's, it's, I think it was on TV somewhere that you, you, you couldn't, you either had, you had to have cable or you had to have subscription or something. It was, this was before uh, Flow Rugby, but you had to, wherever they were broadcasting, it wasn't accessible to everybody. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to live commentate the game like this is radio. All right. This is, I'm going to at least be able to give something because I can't write. Not at the speed that they're doing. And I know once I'm done with the game, I want to leave. And most of them have to stay afterwards to get the article out. Plus, there's so many articles coming out about the same game. Like, what's going to cut through the noise with me? So I ended up going to live commentate. And Alex Goff was with me uh, doing the game. Shout out, Like I said, shout out to Laura because she promoted uh, me doing the live commentating on the USA Rugby um, on the USA Rugby social media, and I just, I washed on that. I was terrible. I could not pronounce the names for shit. I could, <laughs> I was trying to keep up. You know, Alex was sitting next to me helping me to, to do it just before I got to really know him. Um, but, you know, shout out to him, too, helping me trying to get the names correct and stuff like that. But it was, it was definitely a, uh, a learning effort, to say the least. Um, so it was, it was just kind of part of that process. And it was like, all right, let me, let me do it. And then I was like, okay, it fills in another blank at least though, but it's still, you know, it's, it's not lost in memory, but you're still trying to figure out your place. And I was also trying to figure out, you know, what, what is the best way to be able to monetize as well too? Like, 
and all this is great, but you know, what are we able to do with it? And so I think I started trying to work on my commentating a little bit because I was like, all right, let me see. And Laura Gill once again gave me a shot. Um, she allowed me to come for the what it was. It was a college uh, game. It was in at Life University. I think maybe it was wasn't SIRC. Maybe it was SIRC championships again sometime. But um, you know, I it was when I've got to meet Dallin Stanford and a lot of these guys at Life and commentated my first uh, game. I think under USA Rugby. And I was just like, yeah, cool. I was like, yo, just do I remember Laura asked me, he was like, oh, is this all you wanted to do? I was like, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, you can't get paid for it. I was like, wait, there was payment that was I was like, I didn't come here to get paid. I came here just to be able to commentate. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, yo, big ups. And so I think that's when she allowed me to come and, and do a different commentating. So I'm telling you, we're, we're layering this. So it was like, all right, look, we're blogging first. Cool. Now let's film the games. Cool. Let me commentate a little bit. Cool. Uh, and then it led to that next level of trying to commentate on a USA Rugby channel, uh, which was in 2014 when I did the D2 championships. D2 playoffs. Uh, no, D2 championships. Division 2 championships. Did that with Katie Wurst uh, in South Carolina. Uh, and this was one time I was like, man, I'm going to South Carolina a lot. Uh, but it was, it was dope. Another experience because not only was there the pressure of being on camera for the first time, because all the times I've been commentating, I never was on camera, but you know, you have to kind of get used to, uh, figuring out how to, to work not only with your co, uh, not only with your co, uh, commentator, um, but also you having these people in your ear plus trying to make sure you're staying looking at the camera. And this is all just like, yo, we just just trying. Like, I've, I know how to commentate to an extent. And it was it was an interesting experience, um, you know, just being able to do it, watching, uh, I, I think, what it was, Whitewater, uh, Wisconsin, just dominate through and everything like that. And uh, I had so many flubs. I think I wrote down the wrong roster in one point. So I was, I was uh, comment- <laughs> like, Katie was my... Um, color commentator i was a play-by-play i was calling the wrong names but i had them written down but it was on the wrong sides and you know i think we went through a whole half before it was there i'm pretty sure the uh the people listening were not too happy but uh it was it was it was interesting it was interesting trying to do it and you take it from it but it let me know of what i wanted to be able to do a lot more and so from there i was like okay the next thing that we need to really do is try to broadcast the games because filming games is dope, um, but we get it the day after. Commentating games is nice, but people can't see it. So I was like, all right, what do we need to do to be able to live stream these things? And, you know, seeing the price, live streaming was kind of early taking off then for rugby. It was, it was very early, and the only reason I even thought about it was because I saw uh, what they had done for that game, that, that uh, tournament that was happening at Life University. So... I was like, okay, you know, whatever it is, I think I should be able to handle this. Uh, And I went to try and go buy some stuff, and I was like, let me go to, uh, I think I did, I went back down to Life University again uh, to do the University, South, the USA Rugby South Panthers versus Guyana, all right? And no, no, no. 
we actually had one step previous to that. Uh, we had, yeah, no, no, that was the first one. Uh, um, versus Guyana. Um, and I was like, okay, I learned, I looked it up online. All right, I'm going to get the cameras, going to order all this stuff. And man, didn't work because I ordered all the wrong things. Like I got the cameras, but the, I didn't have the connecting piece. I, I had the computer, but I didn't have um, uh, the broadcaster, like it was all wrong, but thankfully I had three guys and, you know, it was, um, uh, a, 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 an associate of, uh, of mine from, uh, Mobile, uh, who, who'd been working with the South Panthers, a guy that they had worked with that had played for university of, uh, Southern Mississippi, I think, um, and we, we filmed this, you know, Guyana versus USA South game. Uh, and I learned a lot from that as well, too, which it was a great game. I mean, to be able to fail on your first broadcast and disappoint a whole bunch of people to thinking they were going to be able to watch a game live, uh, that was definitely a game to watch live. And then I had to learn how to piece the th- multiple cameras together, uh, which was fun. But that was a great game, which you can still see up on Gift Time Rugby Network. Um, but it was like I, I thought I failed. I used up way more money. I borrowed money from my family and completely didn't have a means of getting it back. Uh, and I did this all for free. Uh, so it was just like, all right. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if broadcasting it was a little bit too ambitious for me. Uh, but then uh, my, my, the, 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 my, my associate from Mobile, he was like, hey, look, we're doing another USA rugby game. Uh, USA Rugby South games, like, yo, why don't you try and do it again? And so I looked it up carefully, and I found, uh, we found a piece through, at the time, was Livestream. I, don't, I think Livestream now is owned by Twitch or Amazon or something to that effect now. But uh, they had a little piece, um, or it was through Black Magic or something like that. They had a little piece that we were able to use, and we did a single cam broadcast of the USA South game. I was, I think, USA South versus Cayman Islands. And it was just enough. The only catch-22 was I forgot to charge my camera battery the day before. So it was partially, <laughs> it was partially <laughs> filmed. Like, we got almost all the game except for, like, the last, um, the last little bit. And it was just audio from that point on. Uh, maybe the last five minutes of the game. Uh, yeah, last five minutes of the game. The camera died and it was a Canon like, uh, uh, you know, shot camera. So it wasn't um, it wasn't one that we could plug in and be able to film simultaneously. Like it had to be plugged into its own stuff. Um, and another lesson learned: always make sure you're charged. So this was around 2000. This was early 2014. Uh, and I was just like, whew. Uh, okay, we got this, and all right, maybe there's something here that we can work with. Did it again for Truth, Truth South Championships in 2014. Um, and by this point, I had actually stepped away from playing rugby regularly. Um, I had gotten into an issue. I got arrested in Tennessee uh, after a game against uh, Knoxville that I got belligerently drunk. LSU lost a game, and then I got into it with um I, I i just mean mugged some cops um and 
uh, they arrested me. So I was like, all right, yeah, this might be where I need to close my day to day, my regular scheduled rugby, not actual playing, but my seasonal rugby play. So I can focus on this because the other thing was, yo, we're trying to get to the Olympics. And I'd, one thing that I had made a decision, I was like, look, there's only two ways to be able to, for me to get to the Olympics. I can either go through an, as an athlete, two ways to get there for free, as an athlete or as media. And I knew I was going to be 30 by the time I was going to get to, you know, I'd get to the, by the time the Olympics were going to get here. Uh, and I just wasn't going to have enough exposure as an athlete. So I was like, and longevity, you know, I was like, I think I can do more as a media person than I can as an athlete. So it was like, all right, we're, I'm really trying to be all in on this. And that summer after that, I did my first, this was 2014, summer 2015. This was 2015 now. Summer 2015, we, we go in and I get called up by USA Rugby South to do my first multi-camera game. All right. This was... An endeavor I wasn't sure about, but I was like, look, we can figure this out. And uh, brought in uh, my associate from Mobile. He brought in a friend of his. Uh, and then I brought a kid with me who was actually the son of one of my tenants. I wanted to, you know, be able to help bring up another generation and come do this and come. And this one was actually paid. And so we go down and, um, you know, I, I got all the equipment. I got the right equipment this time. For multi-camera broadcast, I uh, got the right software, and I was like, "All right, let's let's do this." This is trying to do it at 480p, and of course, you know, once we get there, trying to be able to document, and <laughs> the first weekend of broadcasting didn't work the way it was supposed to because I couldn't get the software working, I couldn't get the cameras connecting on, for and the. Over the weekend, customer service for the the, the soft the, the equipment that I was using wasn't wasn't open. So I'm like losing it. I ended up having to use like my laptop. I had a commentator, my guy uh, Ronnie Suarez uh, uh, from FIU, uh, who had met at FIU versus um, FSU uh, that women's game, but he commentated for me. Uh, we had a few guys, and I was trying to commentate simultaneously. We're trying to direct and everything, and it was just like the first one was a laptop camera and just over the game and just 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 ants on the board. For the next weekend, so the first two the first two days, that's four games, it was like that. The next one was okay, we got customer service, we were able to start broadcasting the games, but we were only able to do it at uh, 480p at its highest. Uh, and I think the first one we did, like, 260. Um, it wasn't great, but we were able to get the games. And I think that was one of the first times that uh, – it was one of the earliest times that USA Rugby South and uh, at the time called NACRA, now RAN, were broadcasting games. So uh, this was in Florida, in Orlando, at Champions Gate. Um, and it was just – it was a great experience. Again, you know, getting to be able to, to direct and figure out this camera stuff and figure out this stuff, but making sure that games weren't lost in memory, getting to know the players. And a lot of these guys, you know, seen play now for their national teams and came to the States and played like that. But we're seeing them 19, 2015, 
Um, this was the USA Rugby South U19 Championships, uh, not the USA Rugby South Championships. But USA Rugby South ran uh, – this was the, uh, the NACRA U19 Championships. Um, had gotten a chance to go do another game, the Olympic qualifiers, before getting everything leading into it. So, you know, doing these multitask, it was, it was another toughie, man, but we're, we're going to get it. Uh, got hired on to do Enscro Women's uh, Championships, and then subsequently after that, um, got to do um, SIRC Men's uh, Conference Championships. And when I tell you, like, these were two very monumental situations for me because not only did they first bring me to understand, like, you know, trying to put all the weight of the world on you again, but, yo, what to deal with with errors. Um, Again, you know, we were broadcasting 480p, found out they went at 720p, didn't know how to do it at 720p because when we tried, the computer would start to freeze. Everything would start start to pixelate. It was such a slow down, and so it just wasn't coming out smoothly. Uh, and it was just, it was getting bad. Uh, did it again. My guy tried for uh, SIRC um, Conference Championships. My guy, Charlie Suarez. Um, uh, Charlie Suarez, I'm sorry. Charlie Velasquez uh, had come up and helped with that. Shout out to him with uh, Rugby in Florida, uh, the website, like, it was just it was it was learning a lot. I learned on making sure that you're always filming on your camera as much as you're filming through the uh, through the stream because the stream can always mess up, but at least you'll have the camera. And um, but you know, make sure you're on the right right one. And uh, you know, it was it was a heavy one because I felt like I really failed a lot of people. Um, even though we got the games off, but. It didn't come out the way I wanted, especially whenever money is transactioned. Uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, not betraying trust. And, uh, you know, like I said, I I didn't feel like I did a great job. I kind of took off a little bit of what I charged. But, you know, I still had to get the money because, you know, we had to travel back and we had our own expenses to deal with. But it was it was it was something difficult, but it set up everything else leading after that. Um, And then from there, it was okay. Let's see if we can get a season of this and just keep pushing it and pushing it. And the constant idea was, look, we are going to normalize being able to see rugby. Normalize it bit by bit by bit. And I started going out of my way. We're going to go get to these games, paying out of pocket, dealing, trying to bring on people. I wanted to try and bring on more commenta- younger commentators uh, to do it. And, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017 was really pushing it, put a lot of things at risk. Uh, definitely you, and, and I have to say, you know, for anybody who tries to do their own thing, understand, like, there is a chance that you're going to lose people along the way, uh, intentionally and unintentionally. And I lost some friends, uh, you know, along the way um, that, that hopefully one day I'm able to make up for and, um, you know, a little bit of the clubs. But, um, you know, I, I'd still say, you know, you, you push it through. It was like, look, there was a mission. Um, it's nothing that's meant to be personal. It wasn't even, but you know, wasn't anything rude. But it was just sometimes negligence can be, or uh, prioritization can become an issue. So uh, trying to invest in this, and I got to give another shout out, like Grant Cole, a guy like Grant Cole, who allowed me to have access to a lot of people. Um, he was one that also opened my credibility up a lot, and was allowing me to be able to get some of these opportunities uh, directly and indirectly. So, you know, it was like, look, we got to we got to get it. We got to make sure that, 
you know, there's a skill. Uh, I got to figure out how to monetize this um, and and understand. And, you know, at that time, a lot of people weren't taking it. They were taking it for granted. Uh, you know, people will get the games, but nobody realized the work. Nobody really wanted to pay that much. And obviously, I didn't want to take anything unless I was sure about it. Uh, I wanted to make sure that the commentate that we're teaching commentating and we're bringing in new people and, and I was able to do it with a few and um, it was it was really fun uh, and and kept pushing it but it was like yo it's not enough like we're still missing something and there's a process in this and this is where I go like yo I tell people what it is that I do um, you know what you do with that information is on you but I, I will I have no problem telling people what I do because the execution is all that matters. Uh, and I watched a lot of people along the way try and, you know, push me out um, and do it. But, you know, I'm still here and they're not. But because this isn't it wasn't easy work. But, you know, when you set on a mission, you set on a mission. And that next step for me was now being able to go overseas because I never had an opportunity to. And it really was something that was unbeknownst to me. So 2016, you know, I started getting to the middle of trying to broadcast games more regularly. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was, wanted to go to Japan, and I was like, all right, we're gonna, let's go to Japan. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, but, you know, managed to do it. Um, and I ended up meeting a team in Japan called the Tokyo Gaijin. And, again, I'd only wanted to go just to be – I've only met up with them to just kind of document rugby in Japan. Again, this was – um, right after the Olympics when I had learned that you needed to do two years in advance, after the Rio Olympics, when you had to do two years in advance to um, sign up to go uh, apply for media passes for the Olympics or else you, you, just, can't, you, just, you just can't do it. You know? uh, so I missed that opportunity, but I don't, I don't think I would have been ready then. But being able to go and meet with the Tokyo Gaijin and I was like, you know, the Rugby World Cup is going to be in the Olympics for 2019. It's going to be in Japan for 2019, and we're going to—it's the Olympics is going to be there for 2020. So let me see how Japanese rugby works. And uh, you know, I love these guys to death um, because they allow, gave me an opportunity to get back into playing regularly in some way, shape, or form um, at least once a year. And they brought me on. Uh, I, can't, I followed them. And they were like, yeah, you know, pay and you can p come play with us. And I was like, all right, like, let's let's go do it. Let's let's get this pay on. And it was great because it set me up with another set of brotherhood. But also access access me to Asia like I'd never prior to never had any interest of going. But, um, you know, if it wasn't for my my girlfriend at the time, my ex now, obviously. But um, and and then this Tokyo part, the you know, I wouldn't have access into it. And it opened me up into this new world. So then years after, going to Thailand, going to Vietnam, gave me a new awareness of how rugby and its mission ended up working. And so it continued to kind of surround the factor of what we really need to promote the culture of rugby. What we do on the broadcast promotes what we have on the game. We, the storytelling pre, before and after is even much more important. And then establishing the culture of it becomes. So I, I was working on trying to... You know, how do we get, you know, more mainstream, more mainstream pop culture concepts in uh, created rugby game day shortly after that, where I tried to get my hip hop friends to be able to perform um, as, you know, seeing the events that they do in Asia, in Southeast Asia. I mean, those rugby tournaments and they were rugby tense tournaments. Those are events. I mean, we're talking about concerts, cheerleaders, individual buses, uh, individual cheerleaders per team. Like, 
um, men's and women's uh, cultural event. Like it was massive, massive. Now, I, the reason why they could do it is because the cost of living is cheaper in Southeast Asia than it is uh, in uh, most Western countries. But it didn't take away from the fact that there was something there that made it attractive and it made you feel bigger than what you were. Um, so I was like, we got to be able to do that. And I was like, yo, can I try and start doing halftime shows? And, you know, I got to give out a shout out to, uh, people like, um, uh, Justin Goonan, uh, who allowed me to, even though it was a fight with, uh, the administration to do my first, uh, halftime show at Spring Hill college. I forgot who it was against, uh, no Spring Hill college versus LSU Alexandria, Uh, My guy, Marcel P. Black, who was the first rapper to first hip hop artist to sign on with me to do a halftime show, which completely messed up on Uh, speakers didn't work. We ended up having to man. He he ended up doing it perfectly without the music and stuff. Uh, It was wild. While I was trying to broadcast while direct the show and do this whole thing and it didn't work the first time. I got to give out a shout out to uh, Rosalind Shaw, uh, the head coach for Life University Women, um, because she helped, allowed me to go do my second show at Life University. And a shout out to my guy, Jamal Steele, who introduced me to um, uh, 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 House of Noise um, uh, uh, hip hop artist. Um, oh, God. Atlanta Faithful. Uh, worked with outcast and, and and all them but um if you don't know him you know uh, uh sleepy brown sleepy brown i got to meet him uh and you know they did it and that didn't work because i learned about acoustics <laughs> acoustics in the stadium and just because you hear the speakers at the top doesn't mean it reaches the field at the same time so learned another thing with that and shout out to jamal Steele for just giving me the chance to work with them but Gave me a chance to even get to know, like, the HBCU teams that were out there, and that will lead to something else from there. Uh, and then from there, it was shout-out to Shea Flowers, who gave me the opportunity to try and do another halftime show at the Red River, uh, do my third halftime show at the Red River uh, cha- Conference Championships. And my guy, uh, Michael Armstead, to come out from Baton Rouge to travel to Austin to come and do the show that, you know, I mistimed it and uh, the players were coming onto the field when we started the halftime show and it was just a lot, you know, there's, there's a process that goes to it, but, you know, it, it shaped a lot of things that I was able to work on along the way in this process of trying to say, hey, we need a we need to really get the culture connected with culture. Like, beforehand, it was just like, there was a, there was a disconnect. Like I, I still don't, I, and there's still that disconnect to an extent here. But you know, we've seen things improve. Like streaming has now improved, and it's become now mainstay as opposed to alternative. Also, got to give a shout out to places like Lindenwood, um, Lindenwood University, uh, Billy Nicholas, Josh Macy, and uh, 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 man, his name just slipped my mind. Uh, he's the uh, U19's uh, former coach, USA Rugby U19's former, uh, All-American's former coach. But they allowed me to broadcast games from Lindenwood originally, and they gave me a chance to keep working on stuff, but keep tightening and putting these things together more and more and more. And, um, you know, it was 
it was able to see what could be uh, and, and being able to pull these things together. And so, and it also gave you the chance. You got to hone your marketing, you know, being able to do these highlights, being able to do promos before, being able to do the interviews, trying to work on each of those, doing it on my own channel. And one thing, you know, give credit, like, look, for people who want to get things done, um, you're not always going to have the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I got to say I was blessed in a lot of ways to be able to do as much as I have been. But, yo, if you can't find somebody to... Do it for you. And I will always say, like, I'm always open to be able to bring in new people to, to work with because I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of great people um, on, on my team uh, in one step or another. Um, yo, you got to find a way to do it on your own. Like, you got to open it up and then you know, be able to start reaching out to see what you can connect with because this sport's not going to give you anything at all. It's, it's not going to give you have to create it at this point in time. But that is the real pleasure. Uh, you know, and we start to see it bit by bit and getting to work with more and more people. And um, but, yeah, having a chance to do all these halftime shows and stuff, I was like, OK, there's one thing I've been wanting to do. And it was whenever I learned about the HBCUs. Um, and this one was I'd first met um, Morehouse back in 2014. When I first discovered them, when I went to Atlanta for that uh, with that game that I went to go announce that I can't remember that I met Dallin and all of them. Um, the the second one was when I got introduced to Prairie View A and M and found out that they had a program, and then Fam U had one kind of bringing back, and it had the pleasure of having meeting both sides, um, being able to be the middle for both ends. Uh, so these guys ended up coming through and I was like, all right, let me put this together, this HBCU rugby classic. And man, this was the first event. I always thought to myself, look, if I, you have to try and make money, you have to do three things. One, you have to be able to, uh, have a channel to be, you have to be able to write, uh, cause people need to be able to read stuff. You need to have a channel to talk about it. Uh, and, uh, you have to be able to broadcast games. Um, so that you have a platform to be able to advertise on and you need an event because you need to be able to have a, an event, a place that you can control your dynamic. You got to control, be able to control what you need to. Um, and you got to work it. So all these guys who do rugby sevens tournaments and stuff like that, like it's piece by piece. You do your rugby sevens. Of course it is a fundraiser from the teams, but I wanted to, in this situation with the HBC rugby classic, I didn't want to work off of the teams. I wanted to work off of spectators. I wanted to find a way that we could get spectators to be able to pay to come see our games because you can't move forward unless you have real fans. And what I'd been seeing so far was just people on the edges and family and friends and stuff like that. Um, you know, but for the most part, games are free, which is good in terms of, yeah, you're, you're might be opening it up, but you kind of lose the value of your, of your product, of your team, of your efforts, which I, ironically, as I was doing everything for free, this is, it also became known. But I was like, all right, I can work with HBCUs. Like, I want them in there. It, for me, HBCUs were just a natural place for rugby. Um, people always talk about the athleticism component, component of it. And, you know, yes, having more black people in the sport is definitely adds to the athletic component of it. But for me, it was... Uh, being able to 
add the international component. After having traveled overseas, I was like, yo, people, rugby needs to be the vehicle that people constantly use. And HBCU can bring people from the community, from the um, black and brown community, and rugby can give them an opportunity to travel overseas, represent for their school. It can bring people from overseas, bringing them over to the HBCUs, um, and it can be a, a low-cost way of being able to advertise, and it takes it out of the norm, uh, so there's a unique element to it, and HBCUs can build on top of this. I still believe that to this day. Um, and so I was like, let's do this HBC Rugby Classic, I have, and I wanted to put something on for Baton Rouge because um, around this time, the MLR was starting to build up in New Orleans. Everybody would go to New Orleans, and yo, shout out to Baton Rouge. Like, it has shit here. Uh, but it needs, you know, you sometimes you need an extra vehicle to be able to pull it. Pull it. So, and I didn't want New Orleans to keep taking all the rugby stuff because they had the high school, they had the club, they had the professional. Like, yo, we need something over here, just an hour away. And so I tried to work with Southern, and uh, that was a cataclysmic failure because uh, me and Southern's sports uh, athletic department just we 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 could not get one together. Like. Um, you know, they booted me from the field. Um, they, they wouldn't let me broadcast, wouldn't let me bring vendors, wouldn't let me put on a stage. Just nothing. Just would give me nothing. Um, so by the grace of God, I ended up finding a middle school. But as a result of doing that middle school, I couldn't charge tickets uh, because it was literally at the last second. Um, and I'm, when I tell you I talk to everybody, like if Southern kicked me off from the field in April, and the game was it second to last week of April. The game was May 5th, 2018. I had two weeks, 10 days to be specific, to find a field um, and, and be able to set everything up. And uh, I tried to use our local rugby field, but Breck uh, wouldn't allow me to do it because I need to give them a month in advance um, plus insurance to be able to do anything. Uh, so I couldn't use the rugby field that Baton Rouge Rugby Club uh, used. And uh, and then, uh, so I lost a week on that one. Um, and then I happened to see a middle school that had posts, talked to the middle school person, and the city of Baton Rouge made it available to us. Um, visit Baton Rouge, the, uh, the, the, visit Baton Rouge, you know, the tourism board provided us a billboard which added some credibility and we had our first event i brought in two artists i brought in a halftime show um we brought in speakers i had my buddy who was a dj uh we my family helped kick in and sell uh food uh i had my guys and i tried to i wanted my friends to be able to you know take advantage you know my guy uh michael wathan brought in his uh his jerseys with uh, his his shirts with um you know with this company and i had my guy keith bringing comics and had, it, the mayor of baton rouge ended up coming i'm forever in debt to her for that um and it was just you know it was a messy event the broadcasts were uneven um the generator went out on us at one point but you know it was it was i couldn't i couldn't ask for more Morehouse and Prairie View AM played an excellent game. Prairie View AM ended up dominating that game, but we all came together, um, and it was the first time they had ever played each other, and it set up a rivalry, and it just set up everything leading forward from there. So it was it was a marketing 
it was a marketing effort, but man, it was expensive. And again, it, it costs and it, it actually burnt me out. I actually lost my sight for about a week after that game um, from all the stress. And I actually ended up having to take about six months off um, from, from doing rugby, uh, doing heavy media. So I wasn't broadcasting like I was heavily in 2018 and, and even 2019. I was doing a lot more sporadically just because I was like, I need to make sure that I have everything set. And we need to make sure we understand where we're going with it um, and completely understand the business and master it. Uh, and, and it kind of brings me out to what now? 2019, we had the HBC Rugby Classic again and had numerous opportunities to be able to play. Uh, you know, give a shout out to Liv, Liz Entwistle, who allowed me to come out and film games for her for uh, Stars Rugby that allowed me to understand the high schoolers a lot better. And ultimately, it leads to where it is now and what I've been trying to do, which is why, you know, uh, NCR asked me to be part of their college and be part of their growth and development, um, be their growth and development coordinator. Uh, Why USA Rugby, I was, you know, Katie brought me on to be part of their, um, what do you call it, the the training and development uh, is because, yo, we're here to change the game. This new era is it's different it's very different <laughs> and um it's just we we have to take that next step and get out of a lot of the range that we're doing and 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 really push things differently because we have something here um and it's not just about money but it's about growth and uh sustainability and this is something that's going across the world so i don't want you to think that usa rugby is alone just because we had the bankruptcy pandemic did not just reveal uh, the weakness in USA Rugby. It'll reveal the weakness in world rugby in general and how we have to present it and take it ourselves out of this amateurism. Doing the doc- I ended up doing a documentary going, you know, I always talk about Singapore to Ru- Tokyo uh, any way we can. Um, that documentary allowed me to be able to see rugby, again, from the mission side uh, and be able to see it from what we have to really push it and bring people in because there's no reason that we shouldn't be a top three sport in the world. It, there's, there's zero reason why we shouldn't and it was to this day it's now all bringing it together you know where now i i'm working sports marketing and wanting to be able to help more teams be able to bring it on and be able to bring the sponsors in and being bringing sponsors in is amazing brings bringing sponsors in who are not rugby people is an amazing feeling having rugby alumni and rugby people support you with their money is an even more amazing feeling um uh, and, and the combination of the two lets you know that you're pushing something forward because this sport's so unique and you can be able to bring it. And even doing this podcast is why I wanted to bring people on and have them add in and do their part and, um, and, and tell their story because we have a lot of different stories, a lot of opportunities that can be developed from here. And it no longer has to be from just as an amateurism or just a side thing. It doesn't take away from it being this side thing, but it's creating a community. And you're, you're going to hear more about it later. But, I mean, it was this was an experience that was worth it. And in my journey, as I continue on to it, this is seven years in going into year eight. Yo, we're turning corners. I'm now being able to get my media passive for the Olympics was which was an amazing feeling in twenty uh to be get that acceptance letter back in twenty eighteen. And you know what I did to go do that? I actually had called the Olympic Committee back in twenty seventeen, talked to uh, you know, Peggy Minter, who um 
you know, let me know, hey, do you need to be able to apply? Apply here. Let it be known. And, and you get your stuff ready. And she accepted me. I wasn't even sure whether it was because I wasn't blogging as much at that point because I was doing more video games, doing more games and broadcasting. But, you know, she, she gave me a shot. And now I get to go. Rugby World Cup was an experience like no other. Um, it's one thing to be a fan. It's another to have the access and you learn more. Uh, these players, hey, one thing that always has changed the game was being able to have the access into Rugby 7. So guys, like I said, Nick Saro and Alex, uh, uh, and, and Alex Solomon, Laura Gill, giving me the opportunity to be able to go to Rugby 7s when it was in Atlanta and just be able to talk to the women who getting to talk to Portia Woodman before she got to be Portia Woodman talking to uh, actually even like uh, uh, the first people I got to talk to um, uh, talking to people like Phaedra uh, uh, talk to uh, talk to Victoria Folion, who was actually the first international player I ever got a chance to interview um, and and uh, and Kelly um, being able to p- talk to them at Atlanta Sevens when nobody, no press people went to Atlanta Sevens, and that was the most amazing experience to have. And being able to get to watch these women just dominate so hard, and I, it was something that I wanted to do every year. I'm not gonna lie; I understand financially it was beneficial to, I guess, you know, maybe to some extent socially to put it with Las Vegas. Uh, with uh, Las Vegas Sevens and which now is LA Sevens, but man, when LA, when Atlanta Sevens left, I was I was so sad. I was ready to go there every single year. Uh, just meeting so many just stars that are playing to this day, played in the Olympics, are going to be playing in the Olympics moving forward. And you know, this is so much opportunity and so much access, and it's an opportunity to do so much. But you got it, it, it's work, man. It's work. But I want to be able to at least lay the pathway uh, to be able to give people a chance to know, hey, you got to, you know, we, we have something here and, you know, I'll eat my part to be a part of it. But let's go. And, you know, we got guys doing it all over. Um, and now with MLR, you know, shout out to my guy like Ryan Ginty and, you know, Matt McCarthy's and, you know, uh, Tozan Tutitanways and, um, you know, uh, Lisa Rose. Like there's there's so many people who are now out here doing uh, this stuff um, and just coming through and changing the game. And we have this opportunity. I always tell people it's my Google. But that's why I come to this, and this is why I do what I do, is is constantly pushing it, changing it from it being um, an amateur and tradition game to a industry and community game um, even more so. Um, and it and, and impacted that we connect as a country with our style and that connects with the rest of the world and we get to show ourselves off and just be able to announce and that we're here, you know, um, that we we mean something that we this sport is really worth the time that is being put in because it is. But, yeah, that's that's my story, uh, guys. Yo, I'm so happy you guys. I uh, took the time to listen to it, um, and uh, I hope you guys were able to take something from it. Uh, you guys, you know, obviously, guys, check season one, but season two, we got n- new set of great guests. You know, consistently trying to give you guys information and uh, I drop jewels and make sure that you you know what is happening and what's going on around here. Um, 
and I just want to say I appreciate you guys all. Thank you all for the support that you've given so much. Um, you guys can still check us out over youtube.com slash gift time rugby uh, network. Uh, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You guys can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and basically any platform that you you uh, listen to podcasts on. Um, and, and you know, of course, check us out on. Um, you can like us on Instagram at Grow Rugby Podcast. Like us on, um, you know, like Gift Time Rugby and. You know, again, don't forget to check out Rugby Outlet Mall. <laughs> Man, I, I'm just, I'm just happy. I'm so, it's so dope to do this, um, and it, it just keeps getting better and better. And knowing that uh, can be able to do more and be able to increase and really, like, as a change of game. Man, we, we're gonna bring in more, better and better people and more and more people, and uh, it's about to be real. So, I hope you guys have a good one. I hope you guys take care of yourself, and I hope you know that you guys are high, blessed, highly blessed. I hope you guys know you're highly favored, and I hope you guys have a great weekend, a great week. Guys, take care of yourself. Cheers.